You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson. Hello again, Life Group Leaders. Welcome to another podcast here at Brentwood Baptist Church. I'm Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson's across from me, and we're glad to be with you today. Hopefully, we'll give you a few uh, helpful nuggets as you're preparing for your uh, life group uh, this Sunday. You know, we're on chapter 7 already, so we're about to finish up the sermon series, uh, Lead Well, that our campus pastors are going through right now on all campuses. And I really feel like it's been a really good study. I've heard some really good things, and um, um, hopefully you are enjoying it, enjoying teaching it, and you're learning a lot yourself. And I think that's one of the really key things in all of this is that the good teachers, the good communicators are the ones that have processed it in their own hearts first and have been challenged and have been prayerful uh, about it and how it applies to their lives uh, individually. And then from that, they lead and teach out of what the Lord has taught them uh, versus just teaching material that uh, that you've been given to literally teach out of the overflow of your heart. And we talk about that a lot. So I would encourage you to do that um, as best you can. Those to me and the lessons that I've been a part of in my past or the ones that I've even taught have been most powerful and effective uh, when I myself have processed it and um, and really have felt convicted of, of the spirit uh, in it as I've, of, uh, as I've studied and applied it to my life. So, but we're on chapter seven, and the title for this uh, chapter this week is "Power for Spiritual Leaders." And the focal passage that uh, we'll be focusing on comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-one. Some of you may be very familiar with this passage of scripture, and it's it's rich, a uh, rich uh, verse here. You get a glimpse of Paul's heart um, here. You do that obviously in all of his books, but particularly here when he's talking about his prayer request for the Ephesians. So um, as we get started here, I want to throw it over to Paul, who's in studio this morning. Paul, say hello, Paul. Hey, guys. Paul's been a little under the weather. Uh, I've been hearing him sniff and snort uh, from next door, so uh, he may sound like he has a gruff voice this morning, but uh, um, hopefully that's not a distraction to you. Sound good? Yeah, it's good. And I mean, as you were talking just on the intro, what flashed in my mind was uh, two Sundays ago, we had the Leadership Summit. I saw a lot of group leaders there. But Mike was talking about the First Reformation and our modern Reformation, and how the First Reformation gave the text back to the people, and how this modern contemporary Reformation that we're engaged in now is to give ministry back to the people. And so as you're talking about how the leadership the leading well series has been good for our people. I think it's that is that we're able to equip, empower, and identify, secure, and call them as leaders to do the ministry of the kingdom. And then I think it's been a good move. And just like Roger mentioned last week, uh, the lift set and then immediately spiritual leadership is really driving engagement. Yeah, it's good. It's real good. It was a good good summit. It was a good to be a part of that. Good to hear from Mike and his vision. As we take a look at the passage of scripture today in Ephesians 3 14 through 21 again as our focal passage I think one of the things that really steps out uh, uh, sticks out to me again as I mentioned earlier just Paul's heart and his desire to see uh, 
these Ephesian believers to experience the power that comes from God's Spirit so that they are well equipped to do what God has called them to do. And he kind of gives two prayer requests. You'll notice uh, beginning in um, verse 16, he says that, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner man or inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he continues, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love, a love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So there's two prayer requests that that Paul has, right, that he's praying to God that these Ephesians would understand. And this is a man, Paul, who probably in in his life and ministry has experienced that power. And we see that, obviously, he has. And just through the many miracles and all the the work that was accomplished through Paul, the words that he wrote, all the things that he was a part of, a part of God's kingdom, none of that could have been accomplished apart from the Spirit, a supernatural power that he was, that he received in order to accomplish those things. And he would be the first to acknowledge that, to say, hey, it's not me. It's, uh, it's God's Spirit working in me, giving me the power to accomplish what he's given me to accomplish. And, um, and so... He's desiring that these Ephesian believers experience that same thing. And so one of the things that come to my mind uh, in the years that I've been a, a believer, a follower of Christ, but also in ministry, I felt those moments where I didn't feel like I had a lot of spiritual power. And I think it'd be an interesting conversation in life groups to talk about maybe have some folks that would be willing to talk about that and maybe even to share some ways in which uh, the the power source is disconnected, and we feel like sometimes that we're going through the motions with with very little results. Yeah, I think it's a great idea uh, to get people thinking through the times when everything isn't so grand, and the transparency that your group will have with you is going to be a direct reflection of the transparency you have with them. So I'm I'm a huge advocate for what Jay mentioned, but I would encourage you as the group leader to be the one to share when you were down, broken, uh, felt tapped out and, and beat up. And I think that'll pave the way for your group to share those moments and then you can backfill it with the truth of the gospel. Yeah, I think there's a there's a correlation here that Paul mentions and we see it throughout Scripture. This correlation between the Spirit giving power to men and our Christian witness. There's a there's a relationship there. We see that in various places in Scripture. We see it here, obviously, in this verse, but we also see it in, in places like Acts one eight, right? And it's a verse that hopefully we're very familiar with when um, Scriptures say, "And you shall receive power. You you shall be my witnesses, and you shall be receive power." When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the, of the earth. And then later in Luke 24, the very end of the chapter, uh, Jesus is, is giving instructions to his disciples. And he says, you are my witnesses. And he instructs them to stay in the city until they will be clothed with power. So there's this definite relationship between witness, Christian witness, and um, God's power given to men to accomplish that. Paul, talk to us a little bit about that relationship, about um, the the nature of the Spirit and how 
he equips and gives power to men to do the work of the kingdom. I think you're spot on with that assessment is that our ability to live the Christian life and be ministers and representatives of the kingdom is going to be a function of how much we have allowed the spirit to work in our own life. So for me, and it's sort of a, a blight on seminary nowadays, I never took a Holy Spirit, a class on the theology of the Holy Spirit in seminary. I'm not sure that they offered it. And maybe they did and my transfer just didn't go well. But I know William Lane Craig talks about one seminary where uh, either he attended or taught and the theology course was called The Father, Jesus, and Man. And the Holy Spirit is completely left out of it. And for me personally, with my fear of the extreme ends of the charismatic movement, I essentially just wrote off the Holy Spirit and never studied, understood, or cared about, essentially, the Spirit until about four years ago when I was teaching here and I was just teaching doctrines and I came upon the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and then I began to research that and I was blown away that I do not think you can live the Christian life well while being ignorant of the Spirit, that all the things we're called to do and called to be after our conversion and up until our death and ultimate glorification are all works of the Holy Spirit in our life. So I just want to run through some of those. Uh, I'll try to put them in the show notes so you can have text with them as well. We just don't have time to read all the different texts. But the Holy Spirit um, obviously reveals truth to us and revealed truth to the Bible writers and gave us the inspired word of God that we study each week and elevate each week in our groups, in our church. The Holy Spirit's responsible for regeneration, and we see that in the Nicodemus story. It's uh, responsible for baptism into the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we get our identity, that is the indwelling of the Spirit, and we see that in Romans 8, 9. The Spirit assures us of salvation, and that's just a few lines later <clears throat> in Romans eight fourteen. We get power for spiritual living from the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5. And the spiritual gifts are a function of the Spirit. We see that in numerous places. Um, I'll, I'll highlight 1 Corinthians 12. The fruit and evidences of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin that calls us to repentance and restoration, John 16. Uh, the Holy Spirit shows us the truth of Jesus Christ, John 16 as well. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray, Romans 8. The Holy Spirit anoints us for ministry. So whatever your calling is, we've been talking about calling and leaders and we're called to do the ministry. The Holy Spirit is the one that anoints you for that. Uh, Luke 4, Acts 10. The Holy Spirit unifies the church, unifies the body of Christ, Ephesians 4. Uh, it, it allows us to persevere until the second coming of Christ, Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit comforts us, Acts 9. The Holy Spirit is our helper, John 14. So all the things we're called to do about understanding the word, about elevating Christ, about sharing our faith, about being witnesses, about being daily disciplined, all of that is what the Holy Spirit does for us, is what the Holy Spirit assists us in and empowers us to do. So it's a great it's a great launching pad this week to introduce your groups and your group members to the indwelling they have and then the access they have to the Spirit to help them live the life of Christ. So I think it's pretty obvious that there's extraordinary power available to believers uh, power that goes beyond what we can think or imagine. And Paul even mentions that, Paul the Apostle, in verse 20, when he says, Now to him he was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power 
that is at work within us. Um, there, there's just a we have such a limited perspective about what God can accomplish and what uh, and how unlimited He is. And um, I don't know. Sometimes I I'm, I feel ashamed <laughs> at my low. Um, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. I guess just my my expectation, low expectations. Maybe, yeah. yeah, my low expectations of what God can accomplish through His church, through my life, uh, even situations that I deal with on a regular basis. But um, it's just a reminder of God's amazing, immeasurable power available to us, and and our uh, need to tap into that power on a regular basis. So let me ask you this, Paul, if what were some, what are some things that come to mind in, in your head that would um, help us to tap into that, into that power, to God's power, his spirit more than we currently do. So to address the first part of that, I think you're right that we do sell God short. I remember when Mike was teaching on, um, I guess it was Gideon, right? Who will pop his head up, he throw the weed, and then pop his head up and look around and see who's coming. And Mike's, uh, he really likes to say that if, if you don't think you need God's help in it, then you're probably outside of God's will with what you think you're doing. That we ought to be grander and bigger and more extreme in our vision and in what we think, uh, can happen. And the Spirit will come right along beside us and help us to generate that and, and succeed in that. I think accessing the Holy Spirit is, a uh, um, under, thought about and under talked about aspect maybe because the holy spirit himself is uh, maybe the neglected person of the trinity as francis chan's book forgotten god goes into i think well, the way i say it is that the holy spirit is always talking the holy spirit is always compelling always trying to act in our lives the question is simply whether we're going to sync up with it do we recognize that voice do we recognize that conviction and then are we going to be obedient to the response so to understand the Spirit's power and to be in sync with it, I think, number one, we do it through faith, that we continually reflect on the gospel of Christ, uh, that Christ has been resurrected, that we have this hope and this promise, and therefore we understand ourselves fundamentally as spiritual and eternal beings in that, um, in that kind of faith. And then we can pray for more faith uh, with respect to that as well. I think that'll keep us honed in on the things of the Spirit Two, I think we have to be engaged in the disciplines, at least some of them, uh, particularly prayer. And I mean, Orge gets into some of that. And, of course, Paul in this passage is praying. But praying is a way to sync us up with the Spirit. Uh, and praying involves listening. And maybe that's the part we don't highlight enough is that, sure, we go to God and ask for things and uh, reflect on God's nature and so forth and ask for protection. But we also need to listen for responses. And I think what you said about expectations is so crucial here is that are we asking God for specific things? Are we asking for grand things? And if not, then how are we ever going to know if we get a response? But then, of course, Bible reading. I mean, this is the inspired word by the Spirit. Then, of course, being in the Bible is going to help us sync with what the Spirit's doing in our life. And then the last part would be obedience. So our faith helps us recognize that the Spirit is at work. Our spiritual disciplines help us get into sync with what the Spirit is doing. And then once we do that, we're going to hear conviction and compulsion from the Spirit. And the last part is the question of obedience. Are we going to do it? If the Lord asks you to go share your faith with that guy in a line or 
to lay hands on somebody and pray for them in the market, are we going to be faithful to do it? Um, but it all stems from proper faith, proper disciplines to be in sync and to hear appropriately. And then it's all just obedience from there. Yeah. As you were, as you were talking about that, uh, just now I was thinking to myself, I asked myself this question. I don't know where this came from. What, cause I lead a life group on Sunday nights, uh, an off campus life group. If Paul the Apostle were leading my life group, what sort of things would he ask of God? Um, or what sort of things would he expect God to do in the lives of those that Paul was leading? And the reason I, I thought about that question is because I, w- I would imagine that Paul the Apostle would have, would have asked God for big things. And the reason he would have is because he had seen God do big things in and through his ministry in the past. And he understood and believed that God was capable of anything and that miracles could take place in the lives of this person or in this situation and that his faith would be huge as a result of it and therefore uh, not be afraid or not have low expectations of the things that God can do. And so that might be a question you might want to ask uh, your life group participants or maybe you ask yourself, what would Paul ask of God if he were leading your group? Um, and, and maybe even ask, uh, your life group participants, if Paul were living their life in their situation and with their pressures and stresses and things that were happening, what sort of faith would he show? Which, which sort of, sort of expectations would he have trusting in the power of God to do what only God can do? We talk about God-sized vision and God-sized dreams and God-sized expectations, I'll be the first to admit that I struggle with that sometimes. And my perspective is such that I feel like the only, the only that can be accomplished is what my personality and my gifting and, 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 um, my interest and my passions will allow me to do. And, you know, we read this scripture here in Ephesians and Paul is praying for the Ephesians to, to have this power and to understand this power available to them because he himself has experienced it and he knows this available. And, um, and I want to, I want to live that way. You know, I want to have that same sort of expectation of God knowing that, you know, God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Our requests, uh, aren't near to the to the level of, of what God can accomplish in our lives and through our lives. I think you're spot on with that. But I want to offer one warning as we teach this, because we don't want to set our people up for failure either, is that we can't divorce God's character from these expectations we have of him. So we can't divorce God's character or God's purpose from the expectations and the things we ask for. And so the fundamental question is, what is God about? What is the triune Godhead that created the universe and people? What is that being about? And that being is about glory, receiving glory, because that glory is the best for we creatures, is that as we come to understand who God is and give him glory, we are we are satisfied, motivated, fulfilled, have purpose, and on and on it goes. It makes us holistic, uh, holistic people. So, yes, we ask for for grand things and, and yes we go for it but we also want to understand that ultimately if it's about giving god glory and glory comes from living the kingdom life and expanding the kingdom then the way our lives will work out will be conducive to those two ends so as an example let's just look at paul 
and I want to highlight page 73 from our text in the travelogue as well. Orge says, the best indicator of God's future performance is his past activity, yet no matter how many times God has provided in the past, we often doubt his future provision. All right, and so look at Paul's life. So first a criminal murderer, persecutor, and then he gets converted, a miraculous Damascus Road experience, and then he has all these incredible missionary journeys and all this grand work, and then he lands himself in jail. And I think as we encourage our people to ask for grand things of God, I would I would bet, and I, I probably bet a good amount if I weren't a Baptist, that none of them expect to be landed in jail by asking the grand and extraordinary thing from God. And yet that's precisely where Paul landed. And it got us the New Testament out of it. It's just stunning because God's about helping his people live the kingdom life so they can be uh, in full joy and then helping them expand the kingdom as they relate to one another. And so it doesn't, so that's why it's so important to get in sync with the spirit so that we can interpret God's response as a noble, as a kingdom opportunity. But for a non-kingdom person to ask grand things of God after God had a uh, he's witnessed the resurrected Christ on the road. He's healed people, survived shipwrecks, survived poison bites from snakes. And yet this same guy was just beaten repeatedly and found himself ultimately in jail. And ultimately martyred. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so we don't want to set our people up to say, all right, well, just God will give you whatever you want. Um, yeah. Just ask for it and your body will necessarily be restored and all your relationships will necessarily be restored. We ask God for the grand things of understanding his kingdom more deeply and expanding it more broadly. And and that's the extraordinary stuff God will do. And to be a part of that is an extreme blessing. But if we don't let the spirit work on us and if we don't let the spirit identify and secure us, then there's a good chance we can get bitter about God's great works. Yeah, and I think just to, to piggyback off that, Paul, I think Paul the Apostle even you know, highlights that also too, verse 21 of this same verse, or I mean the same text, is because he says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So it was Paul here is talking about this prayer and this power available in his prayer, this prayer request, right, for the Ephesians, that they receive this power not only to accomplish, but also this power to understand God's love for them. But at the end, what really matters, right? It's the glory that that comes um, to God through the church and in Christ uh, for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And that was Paul's, obviously Paul's um, focus at the end of it all. And thus he could praise God through it all. That's good. Any other last remarks, Paul, before we, we close her down today? I think it's a it's a great lesson. It's a great lesson to talk about the spirit. It's a great lesson to remind us to pray for our group members. I don't do that all the time, whether I'm teaching a focus study. Um, we certainly pray for group leaders, but I think about the particular groups I lead. I don't always pray uh, as much as I should for those people. And uh, this is a good reminder, good conviction. Uh, made me repent and and have to double down and focus on that. Yeah, this is a this is a good prayer. These these principles here that Paul prays as a spiritual leader for his flock, right? We too, as spiritual leaders, pray for our flock. And maybe you can pray in the same way that Paul prayed for them. It might be a good thing to do as an exercise in preparation for this week. Hey, thanks for tuning in again today, and uh, hope that this was helpful. And we'll we'll continue with these. Uh, I know this is the last one uh, prior to. Um, Let's see, yeah, 
It's the last one of the sermon alignment with the travel log. We'll uh, we'll talk again. Uh, what are the next steps, Paul? Do we know? Not officially. <laughs> we may we may finish out spiritual leadership. We know a number of groups are going to go ahead and do all thirteen chapters of the of that travel log. So we may very well continue with that. But we'll certainly start as people go back out into sermon series, uh, teaching through a book of the Bible, or those that are in the Lifeway, uh, explore the Bible or Gospel Project. We'll probably start incorporating some of those practices, uh, meaningful for them as well. All right. Well, that sounds good. Paul's Paul's got it, man. Good stuff, dude. Well, I hope you have a great week, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much. We're praying for you.